Hey listeners, before we jump into the episode, I want to let you know that we are changing our GovCast publication schedule. You will now be getting a brand new GovCast every week on Tuesdays. That means more insights from federal IT's top decision makers. Welcome to GovCast, connecting with federal IT's top decision makers. I'm Alexander Bulova, production lead at GovCIO Media and Research. With me today is staff writer researcher, Nikki Henderson. Hi, Nikki. Hi, Alex. So you had the opportunity to chat with Carlos Smith Jackson, Senior Procurement Executive, Deputy Chief Acquisition Officer, and Assistant Administrator for Procurement at NASA. One of my personal favorite agencies. I love NASA. Tell me, how was your conversation? Alex, I love NASA as well. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed my conversation with Carla. She was really passionate about NASA's Acquisition Innovation Launchpad and how it's going to strengthen their procurement process. And uh, Carla also told me about a new organization that she created that's helping NASA better collect and track performance data. So it was it was a great conversation. I enjoyed it. Great. So tell me more about the new Acquisition Innovation Launchpad. How exactly will it enhance the procurement process at NASA? Well, Carla said NASA's Acquisition Innovation Launchpad, um, which she refers to as NAIL, will accelerate the communication of innovation. She said NAIL is a, a type of framework of innovation with bodies of expertise. Not only do they have representation within procurement, but she says there's representation with their program managers, general counsel, office of financial operations, so and also industry partners. She said it's kind of like a cross-functional stakeholders and industry partners that will facilitate the use of innovative acquisition techniques. And then also they will identify and develop tools. So the thing is, Carla said, what distinguishes NAIL from other frameworks is that it focuses on sole source procurement as well as competitive procurement, procurement strategy and procurement management. And she says what they're, what NAIL is really looking to provide here is sort of that safe place to manage risk-taking and allow people to kind of test out things. And so if it fails, it's on a smaller scale. And she believes that NAIL can also stimulate better agile, innovative acquisition practices so they can have better procurement outcomes and also improve the customer experience, Alex. Gotcha. What did Carla say were some of the challenges that her team is facing when it comes to getting new technology or even just any technology in the door to accomplish these missions? Carla said there's always this um, kind of this clash of new space companies and you like those that have been operating like within the last 20 years and then the traditional older aerospace companies that have been in operation for like over 70 years. And she says, so NASA is trying to combine them and just kind of diversify its industrial base by having that mix of older and newer aerospace companies. And she said that NASA is looking to both of them, both of these types of companies to help them manage the underrepresented groups through like subcontracting and teaming agreements. And she said it's kind of like an 
they're incentivizing that piece of doing business by having something that's very important, the diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility plan. She said from now on, when you win a contract at NASA, it's going to be a requirement to have that DEIA plan. This will be looked at annually, and they will be checking to see if these companies are meeting their obligations with their organic workforce as well as their industrial base. So Carlos said that the challenge is having this mix of the industrial base with these older companies and newer companies and trying to increase representation from underrepresented groups like women-owned businesses or veteran-owned small businesses. Yeah, that's a really great initiative, and I can't wait to hear more about it in your conversation. So how is Carla thinking about emerging technology, whether it's in regard to the strategies to procure it or enhancing the procurement function to work better? Well, actually, Alex, last year, Carla said she stood up a new organization. It's called Enterprise Services and Analysis. And um, she said they have an e-business systems office, and they're looking at ways to better gather and assimilate data across the enterprise on contractor performance. And she said they've actually been looking at incentives like what works and what doesn't work. And now they're able to also track trend data as respect to performance over a certain period of time. So she said this has been very uh, beneficial. Well, with all of that in mind, let's take a listen to your interview. I really appreciate you taking out time to speak with me today about NASA's new acquisition innovation lab, how emerging technology is enhancing the procurement process and giving us an update on the moon to Mars mission. To start off, Carla, your career in acquisitions has spanned over 30 years. Can you please tell me more about that career path? How did you get started in government and in procurement? Sure. Um, something I, I'm always excited to talk about is my career path, but um, I was recruited uh, right on campus at Hampton University, which is an HBCU down in the Tidewater area. I was actually a, a merchandising major, um, but had a lot of, uh, I'll say, specialties or additional electives I took in business. So business was um, kind of second nature to me. Um, what really captivated me with wanting to come work for the, it was the Department of Defense at the time, was I am a military brat. My dad um, spent 32 years in the uh, United States Army retiring as a colonel. So I had a natural interest in the Department of Defense and defense of the nation. Um, in particular, I have always had an interest in science and technology and research and development. So I went to go work with what was Defense Nuclear Agency, Defense Threat Reduction Agency, which was um, in 1991. So at that particular time, we were doing a lot of things with nuclear deterrence. We were doing some uh, defense threat reduction work with um, the former Soviet Union, because uh, right after 89, 90, um, the wall went down in Germany, and uh, we were working very closely with the former Soviet Union. So an opportunity to do some, um, some uh, defense conversion in Russia and in Kazakhstan. And then also some research and development for the underground nuclear test program and the above ground test program, which were for me just really exciting. So I started work there, worked there for about three years, and then um, was always also intrigued with um, the Strategic Defense Initiative, um, which started under the Ronald Reagan administration. But what that was, was our ability to um, pretty much use space as a, a platform to defend the nation. 
So at that particular time, 94, it was called Ballistic Missile Defense Organization, later became Missile Defense Agency. So the preponderance of my career I spent at Missile Defense Agency, first starting as a senior contract specialist negotiator, and then ultimately culminating um, at uh, MDA as the senior executive service, the director of contracts in 2016. Um, but between 1994 and 2016, I did um, serve a couple other um, stints in different agencies to, to get broadening. So I worked at DHS at the, as a director of acquisition policy and legislation um, and was responsible for the procurement innovation lab, the PIL, um, in its first year. And there's a heritage there that relates to some of the work I'm doing at NASA. Um, I also served as um, the chief of contracts and deputy at um, the United States Coast Guard headquarters. I was also the deputy executive director of contracts at headquarters uh, defense contract management agency, and then director of acquisition operations over all of the eight supply chains at defense logistics agency. So it's a, it's a pretty rich and broad background. Um, and then two years ago, I saw this announcement for NASA. It was right up my alley. I feel like I prepared my entire career for this particular job and um, was successful in my endeavor to take over as senior procurement executive. And um, I am um, one of a, of a handful of senior procurement executives across the federal government um, responsible for execution of procurement at the um, highest levels of the, of the um, executive branch. Wow, what an interesting journey. It's, it's so neat to hear about your experiences and how they led you uh, to your current role. And you did mention the procurement. During my research, I found an interesting fact about you and learned that you were only one of three signatory authorities that can execute procurement policies and procedures on behalf of the U.S. federal government. So I was like, wow, that is incredible. Uh, do you mind telling me a little more about that? Sure. Um, it was one of the things that actually drew me to, to come to work at NASA. Uh, when you start in procurement, you understand that the federal acquisition regulation or the FAR, as we affectionately call it, those are the regulatory policies. Some of them are based in statute, but they're the regulatory policies that go govern all of federal procurement. And there's something called a FAR Council. It's made up of three executives, um, the senior procurement executive from um, Department of Defense, senior procurement executive from General Services Administration, and then the senior procurement executive at NASA. Um, OFPP, um, through the Office of Management and Budget, is the chair but the three of us are the signatories. So every time there is a policy or a change to the federal acquisition regulation, the three of us are the signatory authorities that affect that change. So with that, we do have broad responsibility um, and operational um, opportunity to influence the shape of acquisition policy and regulation and how we do business across the federal government in the procurement space. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Carla, NASA has launched its new Acquisition Innovation Lab, also known as NAIL. What is the purpose of NAIL and how will it enhance the procurement process? So um, I mentioned earlier when I kind of did a, a quick review of, of my career that um, early on within the first year of the rollout of the Procurement Innovation Lab at Department of Homeland Security, I was responsible for that organization working for Soraya Korea, who many people know in this community. I got to see firsthand how the use of a procurement innovation laboratory where you can test out projects and test out um, innovations, different ways of doing things, be it process, procedure, or even organizational structures um, can influence the way we shape procurement in order to deliver services uh, more efficiently and also um, faster in a more agile way. So when I got to NASA, I saw many opportunities um, 
for us to share lessons learned and learn from each other across the enterprise. But bigger than that, I saw a really uh, an impediment to that sharing of knowledge and information. We were stovepiped at the centers. And so I was trying to figure out a way to um, accelerate the um, communication of innovations across the enterprise. And it drew me straight to the pill, to use the pill as um, pretty much a, a prototype for how we could do business at NASA. So we've called our particular innovation lab, it's called the NASA Acquisition Innovation Launchpad because this is NASA, so we have a launch pad, not a laboratory. But what it is, it's a framework of um, innovation with uh, bodies of um, expertise um, from the center level, which is our uh, level of execution, to the senior executive level across the enterprise, all the way through headquarters. So we have representation, not just within procurement, but also um, with our program managers, with um, our general counsel, with our office of um, financial operations, our CFO, as well as industry partners um, work together. So it's cross-functional stakeholders as well as industry partners to facilitate the use of innovative acquisition techniques and, and then identify and develop tools. So um, one of the things that distinguishes NASA's from, um, from the, the PIL or DHS is that the PIL focuses on uh, source selection or competitive procurement. We're actually looking at um, sole source procurement as well as competitive procurement. We're also looking at smart program management as well as procurement uh, strategy and procurement management. So what we're looking to do is provide a safe place um, to manage risk taking and allow people to test out things so that they could, um, if something fails, it's not you know, a big catastrophic failure, it's on a smaller scale. Then once we test those, I'll call them hypotheses, out on a smaller scale, we can determine whether it could be used on an enterprise-wide basis. And we're also looking at sharing lessons learned across the federal enterprise. So there's um, a renewed interest at OMB, which I talked about earlier, OF, the Office of Federal Procurement Policy, to share innovative ideas across the federal government. So there is something called um, a periodic table of innovative um, techniques that OMB manages. NASA has about five or six that we've done over the years prior to the nail. Um, we're hoping to um, come up with additional ones to populate that periodic table for others to use. But um, we do believe that if we stimulate more agile or, or better and innovative acquisition practices, that we can have better procurement outcomes. We think that we can improve the customer experience, and that means industry as a customer, as well as our um, technical counterparts that um, use contracts to execute their mission. And we also believe that we can, um, by being more agile and looking at our processes, we can either meet or exceed our agency goals for um, small business, as well as diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility, which are strategic goals for NASA, as well as the federal government. Um, so with our industry partners, uh, we're looking for transformational business practices that we might be able to adopt. Um, we're looking at our data analytics to see, you know, are we accumulating the right data? Are we looking at the right things? And then there could be advanced technologies. We might be able to leverage technology to more um, seamlessly deliver our um, procurement services. Um, wanted to also mention that um, we are going to look to see if we if we require statutory changes or legislative changes right now at this time. We don't think we need those, but if that's required, that would be an outgrowth to identify those things that we could put together, an opportunity for legislative change or legislative proposals to be considered um, by the legislative branch. 
So um, we intend to highlight successes. I mentioned that before that goes to communication. We intend to reward successes, but we also intend to uh, reward and learn from the failures because the documented failure is as important as the success. Sometimes we try things, it doesn't work, but we don't document what we tried. And then a few years later, we uh, try it again and it doesn't work, but we didn't document what we did. So someone might be able to improve on those things that might've failed if there was some piece of it that didn't work so well. So that's, that's it in a nutshell. And, and then I want to underscore the fact that we have a number of industry um, proposals. I think we're up around 28 to 30 um, were uh, industry ideas that we're considering and evaluating right now for use um, at NASA, either on a, on a center lower level or on an enterprise level. Wow. Well, thank you so much for highlighting the goals of NAIL and, and talking about the mission. Um, I really appreciate that. How are you approaching procurement strategies to fulfill fascinating missions like Moon to Mars? So um, first, I like the, the Moon to Mars is a huge, although we've been to the moon, it's it's been, you know, a long time ago, right? Like, so <laughs> as old as I am, more than 50 years ago. So we know that some of the technologies, if not all the technologies that we used in the 60s are now improved better. We even, if you just say video capability, you remember if you probably don't remember, but for those that have studied the history, um, they had grainy video um, when they did walk on the moon, our um, comms were kind of choppy and that kind of thing. So um, when you see the James Webb Space Telescope, you can see just how rich our video capability and transmission capability as just one technology that we'll be able to employ when we go to moon to Mars. So we're not trying to duplicate what we did 50 plus years ago. What we're trying to do is um, actually what we've done is we've studied this model of um, that many are familiar with about a capability approach, which is you develop capability and you field it as soon as it's possible. And then in the end, you, you knit together all these capabilities and then you have a, a strategy or you have, um, I'll say, a, a, a space strategy to be able to um, to accomplish your long-term strategy. So what NASA, instead of doing the traditional capability-based approach, what we're doing right now is we're looking at, and we have actually published our roadmap, we are architecting from the right, um, meaning we're identifying what are the technical objectives that we need to have met, as opposed to what capability do we have today to try to grow the capability? We're starting from the right. What are the objectives we need to accomplish? By starting from the right, what we're able to do is then create this vision and this understanding, not just by all the NASA employees, but by our contractors and all of our stakeholders. So those could be stakeholders in the White House, stakeholders on the Hill. Um, it could be our international partners to say, this is what we're trying to accomplish. These are all the objectives. This blueprint, the way that we've, um, I'll say, uh, identified it and articulated it, is intended to be a sustained document, meaning regardless of political ups and downs or who's in uh, what office or not, we have a, an ability to sustain our human presence and exploration throughout the solar system. So we are not, we're not trying to um, develop something that'll be good for a couple of years. We're trying to develop a 20 to 30 year strategy, architecting from the right, that people will first understand and then work towards. So that means we can pick and choose the pieces um, administration to administration, but at the end, if it gets 2030 or, or whenever it'll be, we'll have um, everything stood up. This will allow us to be a little more uh, resilient with respect to budget um, perturbations, as well as our investment strategy. So with investment strategy, what we say there is we want to look to see is Department of Defense investing in this, Department of Commerce, Department of Energy, so we don't duplicate our investments. We leverage other investments that might be going on and other um, 
executive departments. We'll also be able to leverage investments by industry because industry will see that objective in the right and they can develop and invest their um, independent research and development dollars or any other dollars that they might want to help us fulfill our objectives in the long term. Um, so by doing that, um, industry will have this roadmap for what we're trying to accomplish. Um, and then they can feel a little more confident with respect to their um, shareholders and invest in new technology with the understanding that there will be a payoff um, in the commercial space industry. And we think that's a huge benefit because a lot of times what happens is industries like, well, where are you trying to go with that? They're looking at individual procurements. They don't see the long-term strategy. So we did um, prioritize, you know, what was what would be most important for us, meaning the things that need to be developed versus integrated. If something doesn't exist, that's developed. Integrated means already in existence, but how does it all work together? And so um, that's been listed in our objective plan and that's been published and distributed about eight months ago. Okay, that's good to hear about, um, you know, the roadmap and how you're trying to stand up something that's not just, you know, temporary just for a year or two, but for the long term for at least up to 30 years. And regardless of, like you said, the political um, background, Carla, with NASA's widespread programs that touch on many aspects of our world, not just space, what are some of the challenges you and your team face when it comes to getting tech in the door to accomplish these missions? Yeah, this is a question that we get a lot. And um, so it's one that we talk a lot about um, because there's always this um, conflict or this clash of what people call new space, um, meaning um, new companies that operate in the commercial space market or space industry within the last 20 years. And then what we call traditional aerospace. Those have been you know, operating for you know, as long as 100 years, you know, I'll say 60 to 70 years at least. And so um, NASA is trying to diversify our supply chain or our industrial base by having a mix of traditional aerospace. So that was, those would be the traditional beltway bandits that we used to call, I won't call names. And then the new aerospace companies, which are many, many based in uh, the California area or out, out in the Western part of the country. Um, we were also um, looking to both of those groups, be it traditional aerospace or the, the new space um, to increase new entrants and, and um, help us with um, managing underrepresented groups through subcontracting and teaming agreements. So we're incentivizing um, that particular piece of doing business by having diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility plans similar to subcontracting plans. So when you win a contract or you're awarded a contract at NASA from now on, it's a requirement to have a DEIA plan. And that is um, looked at and reviewed annually to ensure that you're meeting your obligations, both with your organic workforce, as well as your um, teaming and um, industrial base and supplier base. That, so that's a challenge, right? So being able to have a mix of um, the industrial base, being able to stimulate um, interest for new entrants and increase new entrants, and then uh, being able to increase um, the uh, representation from underrepresented groups. So it could be woman-owned business, uh, small businesses in general, veteran-owned small businesses, work in um, underutilized business zones, hub zones is what we call those. And um, I mentioned we're also encouraging these teaming arrangements and joint ventures. So that's one. Um, then if you take the second one, it's, it's an outgrowth of that. But we do have a challenge that the um, administration, Biden administration has given us to increase um, the amount of spend with small businesses, in particular small disadvantaged businesses. So we're also trying to achieve those goals. Uh, last year, uh, our goal was 8.2%. We achieved 7.9%. While that represented uh, almost three quarters of a billion dollars of increased spend, it still didn't meet the goal. 
So we're, we're steadily increasing our obligations and spend with small business and small disadvantaged business, but we didn't quite achieve our goal. It was moved up mid-year. And then we did have a case where some of our requirements kind of transitioned into the next fiscal year, so they weren't able to be counted. So um, this year, we have a, a pretty um, heavy-duty strategy. We're trying to hold the schedule, meet schedule, and meet our numbers. Um, the, the, the third goal or the third um, challenge is another piece of it, which is this historically black college and university um, minority um, serving institutions goal. NASA is the only executive agency that has an HBCU MSI goal um, statutorily required. The, the actual goal number isn't in there, but we're, we are to have a goal. So we've selected 1%, but um, we've fallen uh, woefully short of that historically to something like one-tenth of 1%. So we're doing a lot of outreach to HBCUs and minority-serving institutions. Um, we're teaming with some of our larger corporations um, to be able to get them to um, help the HBCUs and MSIs um, talk, talk and think about contracting because this does not pertain to grants and cooperative agreements. We're talking about contract award dollars. And then the last thing that we're doing is we're um, planning to um, put an RFI together and uh, develop a consortium which would, or consortium manager, which would manage a consortium of HBCUs and minority serving institutions that have research capabilities and areas of interest to NASA. And then I, I would use the word set aside, but that's a, that's a formal, um, it's actually have a formal definition. I would say we will reserve some procurement specifically for those awardees of, or members of the consortium to bid to. And that way, allowing them kind of to crawl, walk, run, so that then they compete, they can compete in the future for contract business. But our FY23 priority, and this is um, published for my organization, is to increase obligations with small business and small disadvantaged business to include HBCUs, MSIs. We're focusing on prime awards, but we're not ignoring the idea that subcontracting and teaming is another way to be able to um, get those dollars up. Um, we're helping our Office of Small Business Programs with matchmaking. I mentioned um, that would be with the large businesses and the small disadvantaged businesses. And then um, we are collaborating with the Small Business Administration very closely. And then we've done quite a bit over the past two years. We, we do a, what we call an action and equity um, action report to look at the gaps that we believe we have to be able to meet our goals. So we've increased awareness and we've had a number of training and workshops. So um, those are kind of the challenges that we're facing. And um, those are some of the things that we're trying to do to get to get over the hump. Uh, the other thing I just want to mention was with respect to other transaction authority. Um, we're trying to leverage more use of other transaction authority in NASA. We call it the Space Act. You'll hear FSAA for Funded Space Act Agreement or just um, Space Act Authority, Space Act Agreement Authority, which is unfunded. But um, it's a little more limited than what DOD has. DOD can make an award and go all the way through production. So if you were to compare that to NASA, we would want to go from award all the way through sustained services and um, delivery. Um, we have to kind of stop at making the award when we transition to the sustained services. We typically have to then do another competition or we have to um, write a justification for only one responsible source. But it, it really does hinder our ability to, um, to bring prototype technology to full-scale development or production in a, in a very agile way. So uh, we're getting some traction on the Hill. This is another one of our challenges, but getting traction on the Hill and with OMB to sponsor some legislation that would help us to more um, appropriately leverage authority that many others have. So DHS has this authority, as does Department of Commerce. 
I was told Department of Transportation also has this authority. So we're trying to now explain that um, these other agencies have this authority, which allows them to, to move more quickly through the acquisition lifecycle. We would like the same opportunity. And even though we have some other transaction authority, there are some limitations. I think it's just a matter of educating folks to what those limitations are and why we need the additional authority. Wow. A lot going on. Um, and, and it's great to hear, I, even though there have been challenges with some of these programs, it's good to hear, really good to hear about the efforts that NASA is making to help small disadvantaged uh, businesses and uh, with programs at HBCU. So that's great to hear. Well, what role do you foresee NAIL serving to helping the acquisition community overcome some of these challenges? Well, the first thing I'm I mentioned talked a lot about what we're doing on the procurement space to be able to test and try out some new things, but I want to talk about the fact that with respect to acquisition, it's not just procurement and contracting. We're kind of in this um, together with our, our program management and technical counterparts. So we expected and we do expect to use the nail to start to look at these smart program management initiatives. So what does that mean? That means what data do we need to manage our um, programs to ensure that we're on schedule um, we're within cost and we deliver what we promise. Um, we're looking at things like multiple awards and down selects. We're looking at um, using our incentive contracts to be able to incentivize the behavior that we want. Uh, we're looking at things um, if it's about investment in, um, I'll say, intellectual property or intellectual property rights. We're looking at ways to allow industry to maintain those rights because we don't need them, but they do have a value. And so if industry can capitalize on those um, industrial property rights and data rights and things, then we believe that um, they'll be in a better position to commercialize. If they can commercialize, that will typically over time bring the prices down for NASA and it'll stimulate the economy and the, and the space industry. And that's better for all of us, right? It creates jobs, high paying jobs. It, um, it, it, it works internationally. It, it's a wonderful thing to do. So we're taking the nail to say, okay, what can we do to help our program management brethren do all of these things to um, limit those barriers. We want to attract non-traditional um, federal contractors to, to, um, to government. So we've had a number of initiatives with some of the Silicon Valley, I'll say the, the high tech area that they're like, I don't want to do business with the government because you guys have too many regulations and, and it's too hard to do business and try to develop more commercial ways of doing business. So that means more fixed price services type contracts as opposed to cost type contracts. So they don't have to invest in infrastructure for accounting systems and business systems. But we also have to have measures of effectiveness and surveillance opportunities to make sure that adequate progress is being made. And so there's a lot of negotiation in that space for how we become much more commercial. It's not a commercial contract and not to get too technical. That's like FAR Part 12. We're still talking about the Federal Acquisition Regulation FAR Part 15, but how do we relax some of those standards to be able to encourage those um, companies that believe there's a huge barrier to entry to federal government? How do we make ourselves more attractive so that they want to do business with us? And a lot of that does start with data rights and um, rights to intellectual property or, um, or you know, patents and, and that kind of thing. Okay. Um, the other piece, just to the other overcoming some of the challenges, is we are including our OGC because that the, the lawyers, um, Office of General Counsel, need to be partners when we start to think about if we're going to deviate from standard operating procedure, if we're going to relax standards. Um, we're looking at the science mission directorate to make sure that where we're making our investments, they're in the small businesses that are going to be the highest payoff or the um, 
the technical approaches that would be most interesting. Um, I'll say groundbreaking, game changing, as opposed to incremental improvement in that area. And so um, the implications for industry is we're trying to talk across the table, um, not via email, um, to partner so that we can solve problems um, in a little closer relationship, but we're not breaking any laws or rules. And like I mentioned, since the rollout, we've got anywhere from the high 20s to the low 30s as far as numbers of things that we're investigating currently. Good. Well, I mean, it's good to hear like you're, you know, a priority of helping businesses and also making them more attractive so they can do business with you guys. I mean, that's just a really good thing. And like you said, in the end, it saves, well, benefits everyone and saves an asset of money and creates jobs at the same time. So that that's a great thing. Well, Carla, how do you compare the acquisition function at NASA from those in your prior roles like DHS and defense and like, are there any lessons learned and does any moment stick out to you that defines how you think about acquisition and tech? So, you know, the first thing, whenever you go to any organization, you have to think about is organizational culture, right? So the organizational culture at NASA um, is different than DHS, which is DHS is largely law enforcement and security, right? And then you go to defense, Department of Defense is, it's kind of, um, more outreaching and it's deterrence, not, not law enforcement. And then NASA is exploration. And, and part of our um, vision is um, to benefit all mankind, which is a very lofty, it's not just the United States of America. We're talking about all mankind at NASA. So those are three different kind. you know, protecting the homeland is DHS, you know, also from a defense, it's, it's deterrence, there's cooperation involved, but it's also offensive weapons to protect us. But NASA, you go to NASA and it, it feels so much more kind and gentler about benefit to all humanity. And so we do a lot of collaborative things in NASA and that's kind of the way that um, NASA thinks. So one of the things that I found refreshing coming to NASA um, is the fact that NASA does have inclusion as one of its core values. So our core values are safety, integrity, teamwork, excellence. But then the fifth one is inclusion. So the very um, fabric of, of NASA over the years has been about including everybody. So that means other able people, that means people with different sexual orientations, that means different races, and that means different gender, right? And, and when you come to NASA, you feel that, or at least I felt that um, from day one. And so um, because uh, we're, we're so focused on uh, diversity and inclusion, a lot of people want to do business with us. They want to affiliate with NASA. Um, we, we try to be welcoming. Um, sometimes it's such a collegial em environment back and forth that you're like wanting a decision. So sometimes that can be frustrating, but pretty much everybody gets heard and everybody gets to share their perspective before decisions are made. Um, when you go think about a defense, which is most of my my career, you know, you're in a very um, hierarchical structure where rank is um, paramount. Um, you might not have a voice in the room if, if you aren't the person sitting at the table um, and people defer to their higher level um, person as if that person has all the answers. Well, we know that's not the case. So um, it's just a more inclusive environment. And as a result, what we believe we're getting are more ideas generated from the not just top down, but from the bottom up. And then we're in a place where um, people feel comfortable, like I mentioned before, trying something and if it fails, it's OK, or we'll improve on it or, or people will um, collaborate. 
and uh, work together to be able to um, kind of synthesize a solution. So it's and then the other piece is a single point solution. We we try to stay away from single point solutions where we're, we're looking at options, analyzing options, and then looking at pros and cons, and then um, choosing the best um, the best um, solution to the to the problem. So that would be my my um, my biggest difference I, I would say about it. That's wonderful. I really like the fact that you you highlighted just now about getting ideas from the bottom up instead of the top down, because most of the time it is top down and everyone, instead of just being not at the table or not having a voice, um, everyone having a voice in decision making is it, that's very important. So that, that's very good to hear. Well, how are you? Thinking about emerging technology, whether it's in regard to the strategies to procure it or enhancing the procurement function uh, to work better. So this is really interesting if you think about the procurement function, because a lot of people like to think about procurement as transactional, you know, award the contract, issue the mod. But So if you're in the heat of battle and you, you're not properly resourced, that's all procurement's ever going to do is transactional work. I've been blessed to take on this particular role where I have a number of senior executives that work for me, as well as um, what you would call journeyman um, procurement people. So we're able to focus on the transactional work, which is a day-to-day operations tactical that, you know, the bread and butter, as well as thinking about um, strategic, you know, strategically, where do we want to be in the future? How do we manage data better? How do we get more information, which will then lead us to make better decision making? So um, last year, I set up a new organization called Enterprise Services and Analysis. Um, I call it my analysis division. They have an e-business systems office. So right now we're in the throes of um, reviewing options and doing market research for our next generation contract writing system. We're looking at ways to um, gather and assimilate data um, across the enterprise on contractor performance on contractor business systems, you know, how they do business, not just technical performance, but how they do business, how responsive they are. We're able to start to look at, you know, incentives across the enterprise, what works, what doesn't work. And then we're also able to track over time trend data with respect to performance, as opposed to an individual point in time, we're not doing well today. How are we doing three years ago? How are we forecasting that we're going to be able to do? And all of that goes on the backbone of, um, what I call IT tools and solutions. So as we move forward, um, we've made investments first in personnel with the proper, um, I'll say educational experience background, um, because you, I can't just take an IT professional and throw them in procurement and say, help me do procurement better. I need a procurement professional that understands information technology. And there aren't that many of them. It's a scarce resource. Um, so I've I put together a team led by a new SES, um, Jeff Sage. We've attracted a lot of talent from both the Department of Defense as well as um, other um, government entities that have come to work with us. Um, the, the nail also is a piece of that from the data management piece. And so um, we're looking at integrating all of our OP enterprise applications because, you know, everybody has, I'll say, a database for this, a database for that, a tool for that. But we have too many varied tools. So we're going to try to integrate that, get it down to a handful of tools that are multifunctional and that have the opportunity for scaling or growth so that we don't develop something and then next year it, it, it crashes or we have to do something else with it. So we're, we're forward thinking, we're um, teaming with our um, brethren in the CIO community, as well as the office of um, the financial officer, because if you start to talk about procure to pay, 
that's the whole, that's the whole system. That's the whole life cycle that we need to be worried about. And then it also will provide insight for our contractors. And so our contractors are another piece of it. We are, we're looking at, um, actually we're testing out systems on the pricing perspective where a contractor could develop a price proposal on their side, instead of giving us all that data that they would submit with a proposal, if they develop it and they put it into like a virtual a database that we have access to with controls, then we can get in and see the records without having to have so much paper and email and everything. And so, uh, we're working with, um, just a pilot with, with a company. I want to name companies to be able to do that. Um, some of the other things with respect to acquisition data and technology we do want to look at is our spend under management. That means of our services contracts, are we doing strategic sourcing or category management? Are we pooling our resources instead of making one-off buys? Um, we do have about 21 or 22 different lines of effort there, everything from administrative services to logistic services, custodial services, administrative services. So these are the, the services that any, any agency would need to do or use to be able to, to work. So we're trying to leverage best-in-class contracts. I'm sure you've, you've heard about that, that OMB, um, as, as well as our uh, GWAC contracts and, and multi-agency contracts to do that. And then we're getting better deals. We're already seeing a high payoff. Um, when we get better deals by consolidating our, our enterprise requirements, sometimes they're enterprise-wide, but it could be regional-based. And depending upon the um, complexity of services, we're consolidating at a center. So there might have been one center like Goddard that had 80 different engineering services contracts. Now, we're never going to get to one engineering services contract in Goddard, but we can bucket those. So maybe we can get down to four or five and be able to pool our resources. Um, now, the criticism there is always, well, what do you do on the small business? So what, what I'll tell you is as we've combined and um, consolidated some of this work, it is not bundling, it's consolidation. Um, what we're finding is we're actually spending more dollars, actual dollars with small business when we do this. Now, there are less contracts. So, and, and some people would say, oh, that's less opportunity for small business. But I would tell you that if we're increasing the dollars and we're looking at small businesses with teams of small business, that's much better than a smaller amount of money, but more contracts. And from a federal government perspective, we cannot manage all of those contracts. It's, it's, it's um, not the most efficient use of our resources by managing a bunch of contracts, but we do wanna leverage our small business capability and ingenuity that exists with those businesses. And we think we've struck kind of a happy medium by doing that. Okay, that, that makes sense, that makes sense. Um, why why have more contracts and making less money than the opposite? That that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for explaining that. Carla, what's on the horizon at NASA for 2023? Like, what are you looking forward to this year? Okay, so at, in my role as senior procurement executive, I'm also the deputy uh, acquisition executive. So um, Pam Melroy, the deputy administrator, is the chief acquisition officer, and I serve as her deputy by being statutorily by being the senior procurement executive. So um, every couple of years, I like to do two-year um, stints. Um, we, I come up with, you know, what are the big rocks? What are the things I'm trying to achieve so then I can manage my progress and manage the result so that I can provide value to NASA? So for FY23, um, we've come up with a new tagline, and I do need to say the last few years with COVID, we were focused on delivering procurement services in a difficult environment, being fully you know, dispersed. So that was the focus. We didn't want to break the system. We needed to provide those services. And sometimes it wasn't the most efficient, but we got the job done. We didn't miss a beat. Our obligations went up as well as numbers of actions. So I'm proud of that work. So now we're looking at how do we go to the next level with respect to acquisition excellence? 
through better acquisition outcomes. So part of it is that data analytics, we talked about it. Part of it is innovation. Um, but then I actually have buckets. So I'll tell you the, the five buckets that we're doing. And we've actually talked about all of them. So, so this is gonna be a repeat, but it'll be a, a laundry list that's a little neater. Um, so we, we have data analytics for better decision-making. So I've already explained to you what we're doing that. That's my first goal. Second one is transparency internal processes. What does that mean? Does um, What that means is, does industry understand how we make source selection decisions? Do my employees understand how I make personnel decisions? Um, do we understand how we make decisions to invest money and training opportunities for my workforce? Um, do people know what we're doing with respect to diversity, equity, and inclusion and accessibility? Do they know what our goals are? And that's that equity action plan I talked about. So that's this transparency where we're trying to push out, not just to our employees, but to the actual um, public you know, how, how NASA does business. And so that's transparency and internal processes. That's the second one. The third one is creating innovation opportunities. And we talked about the nail. That's largely what we're doing there. The other piece of that is the engagement with industry. So that gets me to the fourth one, which is robust industry engagement and collaboration. So you can see how some of these overlap, right? So we're going out to conferences. I'm, I'm doing interviews like this with you, um, with various media outlets, in-person podcasts, conferences. Um, and it's gotten to be such an opportunity for NASA that I do. It's more than me now. So all of my executives have opportunities to go out and talk. And I'm in that way, I'm kind of grooming a succession plan for people that know how to communicate with the media, know how to articulate NASA mission. And it's just been a great collaborative activity. And then the last one is increasing new entrants to NASA acquisition. And so we talked about that one as well. And that means in order for us to have a healthy supply chain, we've got to diversify. We need people that other than what we're currently doing business, we don't want to be insular. We want to attract new folks to, to do business with NASA to include international partners and non-traditional business partners that might never have done business with the federal government. That's also a metric that the Biden administration is monitoring for all of the federal executive agencies. So um, those are my priorities. I'm really excited about it. We're almost 50% into the fiscal year now, and we're seeing real movement and um, each one of these areas where I have tangible results. It's great to hear about all of the priorities for this year and beyond. And I would love to touch base with you in the future to see what progress NASA has made. Well, before we conclude, Carla, do you have any final comments or remarks that you'd like to leave with our listeners? Well, first, I want to thank you for the opportunity to share what we're doing at NASA. Um, and then, you know, at NASA, we're about engagement. So um, we do have, we can leave you with our um, our uh, internet site where people, have, there's a thing, you know, meet with the SPE. Um, there's a site for you can you can drop in ideas on that nail with the, the uh, Acquisition Innovation Lab. And then um, we want to be more participative with industry. And so one of the bigger things we're working now is the feedback loop. So after industry gives us input, how do we tell them that we used what they offered? Because um, I, I'm hearing loud and clear, we're giving you ideas, we're responding to RFIs, but we never find out what you did with that information. So um, soon we're going to have an area where we say, okay, we received this information, we're, we're not going to attribute it to any, any company or industry partner, we'll, but we'll say, generally speaking, these are the things that we received and this is how it's manifested itself and um, how we're going to do business at NASA. So that's my, my my next big thing is how do I close the feedback loop? So after folks exchange with us, I can explain to them what I've done with the information they provided. So it's not just like a, just a sucking sound that we're taking in stuff, but we're not pushing anything out. So 
but that's it for us. And I'm, I'm would be, I would love to come back in six months or, or a year or whatever, and, and talk to you about the strides that we've made. We're getting a good, good start on a lot of things, but this is change management. So there's going to be some ups and downs. We might have a couple minor, minor setbacks, but we're going to keep going forward. So I'm excited. Yes. And, and I'm excited too. I mean, it's just so many wonderful things going on at NASA. I mean, that's, I, I'm excited to hear about, you know, six months down the road, what progress that you guys have made. So um, thank you. I need to get one more plug in. Oh, Yesterday, sure. For the 11th year in a row, NASA was voted the, the top place to work in the federal government, 11 years running. We're number one and um, people are our biggest asset. So we couldn't do anything at NASA without the talented workforce. So I should say that. And we're re really, really proud of that particular um, ranking. Number one. <laughs> well, and you should be. That's awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. Well, thank you, Carla, again. I really appreciate it. And I, I hope that you have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. Thank you, Nikki. That was a terrific conversation. Before we let our listeners go, do you have any last takeaways or highlights you want to leave them with? Sure. I've got a couple, actually. Um, NASA is really looking at reaching that next level of acquisition excellence through better acquisition outcomes. Carla said that data analytics is really key to helping them accomplish uh, that goal. And so NASA, they're really focused on transparency and the internal processes, which is how NASA does business, which includes that um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility plan that we talked about. And Carlos said creating innovation opportunities like with NAIL and having robust engagement is something with industry, their top priorities for 2023. Great. Well, Nikki, I really enjoyed that conversation and hearing about everything that NASA is up to. And I really hope that we get to hear from Carla again in the future. In the meantime, that's all for today's GovCast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please leave a review and subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. But until then, I'm Alexander Bolova. And I'm Nikki Henderson. Thank you for listening. GovCast, along with HealthCast and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them on your favorite podcast platform, and if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com.